It's Father's Day. I'm glad my dad could participate in this way. Thank you for allowing us to participate in the way you're gathering today. It's also the longest, lightest, brightest set of days of the year, so I'm sure you've got plenty on your calendar today. I can see Clearbrook in your eyes and Lake Michigan on your horizon. Uh, So let's move on to the letter Jenna mentioned. There's actually a long history in the Christian tradition around letters. Uh, The entire New Testament is basically a compilation of letters. Eugene Peterson wrote a book titled The Wisdom of Each Other, which is a set of letters. C.S. Lewis wrote the screw tape letters. I could go on, but let's just get on with the letter. Beginning at verse 12, Paul writes, I want you to know, beloved... I want, you to, Paul, I want you to know, beloved, Paul is simultaneously announcing the gospel truth conferred on them through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, beloved, and articulating the affection he has for them. Beloved, Paul, Pastor Paul, the Apostle Paul, loves that upstart, uprising gathering of Christians in Philippi led by Pastor Lydia. He loves them. And I, if it's okay, I don't want to get all weird through a camera, but can I take a page out of Paul's book? You're beloved, Pillar. My heart, in the last 98 days, that, that's my count of days since we shut down, lockdown, stay safe, stay home. It's been 98 days, and my heart of affection for you has only swelled larger. Uh, today, we're going to try a regathering on the front lawn. Then I've gotten some questions about that. Some are wondering, what does that say to the more vulnerable among us? What, what's the witness of the church? And I think to myself, I love you. Thank you for caring for the vulnerable. I'm inviting you on a journey with me over the next several months, really, actually for the rest of your life, but intentionally over the next several months around racism Uh, and the church, and I've gotten emails saying, thank you, I needed a safe place to talk about this, and I'm thinking to myself, I love you. And the notes and the cards and the letters written from Pillarites to other Pillarites in the last 100 days has kept USPS in business, I'm sure of it, and I'm thinking the whole time, I love you. Sorry if I'm gushing, I'm just trying to open your heart to what Paul has in his as he writes to the church in Philippi. I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. Most of the brothers and sisters, having been encouraged in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak with greater boldness and without fear. Some proclaim Christ out of envy and rivalry Others in goodwill. These proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that I've been put here for the defense of the gospel. Others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether by false motives or or true, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, This will result in my deliverance. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking in all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. 
And I don't know which I prefer. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ. For that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is necessary for you. Since I'm convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your joy and progress in faith, that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Only, live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent and only hear about you, I will know that you're standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For to them, this is evidence of their destruction and your salvation, and this is God's doing. For he has graciously granted you the privilege of not only believing in him, but of suffering for him as well even as you now experience what you saw the struggle I had and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. It's uh, Philippians 1, 12 through 30. You can find it in a Bible with you or uh, the phone on you. It's Father's Day, so I'm going to try to keep this tight. I'm going to try to keep this quick. Uh, three things, shocking. The context of the gospel the point on the gospel, and the call of the gospel. And then we'll, then we'll come to the table, even, even if only virtually today. The context of the gospel. Forgive me if this sounds a little dour on Father's Day. The context of the gospel is pain, struggle. It always has been. It was when Paul wrote this from prison. It is now. And it always will be until Christ comes again to make it all right and to make it all new. The context of the gospel is challenge. The context of the gospel is pain. The context of the gospel is the circumstance that overwhelms and the situation you're not sure you can make it through. Though American Christianity has attempted to reduce the gospel to health, wealth, and prosperity, has tried to make a God must do this for me or he may not be God or he may not be good or he may not be powerful kind of Christianity, it's simply a misread of the gospel. Reread, please. The context of the gospel is pain. From the Bible's very beginning, the first words of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. And before the primordial pre-creation nothingness, God shouted, light, let there be light. God separated the light from the darkness. And then just a few pages later, God saw the wickedness of humankind was great on the earth and it broke God's heart, so he sent the purifying rain and provided the saving ark. And then just a few books later, God showed up in a bush that was burning but wasn't consumed and said, Moses, Moses, I see your pain, I hear your cry, I know your suffering, and I've come down to deliver you. And then finally, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, his only son, Jesus Christ, not because everything was going so well, not because everything was all fine, but because the world was in desperate need of rescue, salvation. This is the way John puts it in his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him, not one thing came into being. What came into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. 
The context of the gospel is pain, and I'm pushing on this because has there been a moment in your life, in our life collectively, where the good news of the gospel is needed more than now? 98 days. Racial injustice that erupt like a volcano. Political polarization pushing us into corners. And the rest of your lives, it's not like we were cruising along just fine before March 12. The disease is still being diagnosed and the prognosis doesn't look good for my friend. The teenager is still supposed to respond with the right amount of emojis to thread the social needle, hoping to stay in the social circle. The couple taking their nightly walk, not just because they want to be together, but because they got to get out of the house where it happens. The gospel announces salvation, freedom, restoration, reconciliation, peace, wholeness, compassion, mercy, justice, love. That's the promise of the gospel into the circumstances of pain. Paul, in prison, in prison, in prison, names suffering, acknowledges struggle, points to the duplicity, and announces the gospel there. That's the context. Now the point on the gospel You're going to be shocked when I say this. The point on the gospel, the, the, the needle point of the gospel, the point on the number two pencil of the gospel, if you remember what those are, is Jesus Christ himself. That's the point on the gospel. It all points to Jesus. It all moves us towards Jesus. I'm been grateful for the words of John Perkins, civil rights activist, pastor, preacher, uh, in a letter he wrote uh, to Martin Luther King posthumously. Uh, Martin et al. boils down to one thing, Jesus, Jesus alone. Uh, the Apostle Paul, verse 20, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted. Uh, Then again, verse 21, for to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Back to verse 18. What does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed, and that's the point on the gospel. Now, here's where it gets challenging. The scope of the gospel is as broad as the day is long, is as wide as the ever-expanding universe. God's heart of love goes to every nook, cranny, and corner of the world. That's why the benediction I love to offer, you're about to enter every sector of public life. The scope of the gospel goes to every place you are, every person you know, every profession you have. And from there draws us back to Jesus. And that's where it gets challenging. The scope of the gospel, which is broad as the day is long, can lead us to a permission giving. Whatever, whatever goes, it's fine. Just go ahead because God's heart of love is so broad. But that's not the point of God's heart of love. The point of God's heart of love is to bring us back to Jesus. What does it matter? Just this, that Christ is exalted in every way. This is what Paul had in mind in a different place. Uh, every knee will bend. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The scope is broad. The point is singular. 
So here, here's my invitation. Here's my challenge for you. You're about to enter every sector of public life. Think of the places you'll go. Think of the people you'll see. Think of the jobs you'll have. Is there, a, is there an action? Is there a word? Is there a posture you can bring into that place, not just to get the job done, but to bring people and places to the point of it all? I don't know where you work. I can't do it for you. It's my invitation to you. It's the point on the gospel. And now the call on the gospel. You heard it. It's verse 27. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Only. As in, the word is monon. I'll bore you to tears if you'd like with some of the Greek. Monon as in monos, like singular. Just this. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. We, we operate by story. We story our lives. We, we embrace some meta-narrative that is true, we think, and right, we say, and good, we presume. And then we live as participants in that story. That's just kind of how it is. So what's your story? What story do you tell yourself? What story do you live by? Is your story, I'm not enough? Is your story, I'm used goods? Is your story, I'm this political perspective or that social demographic or this school system? What's your story? What if we turned the world upside down and lived by this story? What if we embraced this story, or as I like to put it, interiorized this story and lived as participants in it for the world? Leslie Newbigin talks about unbroken continuity. The story of God announced in Scripture, lived by Jesus Christ, is our story as we make our way into every corner of public life. That's the story. Only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Live your lives according to this story. So the racial injustices have erupted like a volcano on our lives, leaving us polarized or perplexed. Maybe, maybe we can lean in because there's a better day, new possibilities, because live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. So it's an election year. I can't wait. Every election year points us to three more years of arguing. and It's so banal. It's so predictable. It's so boring. We don't have to go that way because live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's the call. So I'm, I'm inviting you on a journey with me. Maybe you saw the devotion I put out on Monday. It's, it's a journey towards... Uh, racism, racial injustice, and the church. Every other Monday, as I offer devotions, I'll present to you, I'll, I'll suggest for you another excerpt from a book written by a person of color that we'll then discuss in some medium. I'm thinking kind of like a blog sort of thing. We'll see how it all works out. And then Wednesday nights, we're going to merge Jonathan's songs and prayers with uh, Christ in the City, a kind of webinar version where we'll watch episodes of a speaker named Jamar Tisby, the author of the book, The Color of Compromise. I'm inviting you on a journey with me towards racial injustice 
and the church. It's a journey I've been on, actually, for a little while. Uh, so uh, it's lament, repent, listen, and then respond. So I've been doing my best to listen. I return to a book I love, a compilation of sermons by Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, the book is titled Strength to Love. He was arrested uh, for hosting a prayer meeting. He was put in jail. He described it as the worst jail he'd ever seen. Uh, and he penned a sermon in jail. He was there for 15 days. Uh, titled Love in Action. I want you to listen to an excerpt of the sermon. I wish you could hear his voice saying it. You'll have to deal with mine. The oceans of history are made turbulent by the ever-rising tides of revenge. Humanity has never risen above the injunction, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. In spite of the fact that the law of revenge solves no social problems, people continue to follow its disastrous leading. History is cluttered with the wreckage of nations and individuals that pursued the self-defeating path. Jesus knew that the old eye-for-eye philosophy would leave everyone blind. He did not seek to overcome evil with evil. He overcame evil with good. Although crucified by hate, he responded with aggressive love. Generations will rise and fall. Men and women will continue to worship the God of revenge and bow before the altar of retaliation. But ever and again, this noble lesson of the cross will be a nagging reminder that only goodness can drive out evil and only love can conquer hate. It sounds to me like only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.